We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Look, in case you haven't heard the news, Blue Wire has teamed up with Greg Olson to launch his brand new pod called TE1. Greg sat down with some of the best tight ends in the league's history to talk about the evolution of the tight end position. Panthers fans, you're not going to want to miss out on listening to your old pal. Chop it up with some of the best to ever lace him up, from Mike Ditka to George Kittle, all the way down to Cole Komet. We have you covered. Check the description box for a link to the feed, or just search TE1 anywhere you listen to your pod. And just like Greg revolutionized the tight end position, you can revolutionize your football experience with NFL Sunday Ticket by DirecTV. Catch all the out-of-market games every week on all your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Go to NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for 15% off. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv, promo code BLUEWIRE. Intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house. This one is picked again. Intercepted by Boston. Bridgewater, throw into the end zone. Touchdown! Samuel still on his feet, inside the five, to the end zone, Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded. All right, we're back with another edition of the Roar podcast. It's John Ellis, Billy Marshall, Blue Wire. Hope you're doing well tonight. Billy, what's going on, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you, John? 
I'm quite well, quite well. We're getting closer to the uh, beginning of the regular season. 13 days away as we uh, record this podcast to be released on a Tuesday. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a lot today. What's going on with uh, the Carolina Panthers this week. And uh, get some thoughts from Billy on where the Panthers are and where they're heading in terms of this whole uh, perceived rebuild. We can call it a number of mm-hmm. things, but some things we wanted to kind of uh, get out there one-on-one here. No guests tonight. Uh, so it'll be fun. Just ping-pong some things around. Don't forget, I uh, want to promote Greg Olson's new podcast, TE1, on Blue Wire. Check it out. It's uh, heard anywhere. Podcasts are heard. Greg's got a great podcast. It's a great show. Check it out, guys. TE1 on Blue Wire. All right, so Panthers news today. Uh, it's been quite busy, Billy. First things first, Andre Smith has been traded uh, to the Buffalo Bills, uh, which is uh, somewhat uh, surprising given the fact the team announced earlier in the day that he had been waived. Got any thoughts on that trade at all? It just seems like he was going to get caught. Buffalo was like, hey, we're down in the waiver wire because we had a good season last year. So... Do you mind just giving him to us? We'll give you like, you know, a future pick that's probably not going to ever be, you know, see a light of day. So I just think that was like the process behind it. I don't think there was maybe too much demand. I feel like sometimes teams get intel that, you know, another team might be interested uh, in a player and claiming him. So that's just my synopsis. Andre had not seen a lot of playing time. He was a special teams uh, guy for the most part. And, uh, you know, drafted late seventh round back in 2018. So, again, you're talking about getting a seventh conditional back in uh, 2023, which is a ways out. But, again, it's better than nothing. Also, the uh, team has announced that no fans will be in the stands for week one. No big surprise there. We talked to Nick Carboni a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago, Billy and I did. And uh, that that was to be expected, Billy. I think that's probably going to be the case here for at least a couple weeks. Yeah, I agree with that. Also on the list here uh, on the COVID front, Derek Thomas, who is a, a rookie corner from Baylor who joined the Panthers uh, has landed on the uh, COVID reserve list. Uh, the reports say from a number of uh, the beat writers out there, including Joe person that he has tested positive for COVID. So I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of contact tracing there and, and they're going to go back and take a look at, you know, every angle. But uh, Derek Thomas was obviously not a guy that w- was highly likely to make this team, but still you hate to see a, a rookie, and that's you hate to see anybody in that situation, obviously. And uh, prayers for him that he's gonna, you know, be okay through this thing. Uh, another thing that caught my last uh, little nugget before we move on to our topic du jour here, Billy. I saw a report from Joe Person. I don't know if you caught this a couple of days ago that mm-hmm. uh, Marty Marty Harney has been calling around the teams in search of some defensive back help. You know, that this is something that obviously with a team in transition right now they've added eli apple uh, they have some young guys uh, mm-hmm. do you think carolina's really in, in a in a position right now to be giving up any more draft capital for for a defensive back no, certainly not no i mean they had their opportunities um you know in march during free agency and they had their opportunities in the draft uh, I, you know a lot of people are saying well that's what happens you don't have enough draft picks but that's why i'm always a big proponent of trading back and i know we'll get into this topic later but um yeah i mean i just feel like you know they kind of made their bed with that situation so uh, i i certainly hope they don't panic and give up a valuable draft asset for you know some veteran secondary i i just don't think that's wise um gettleman 
he panicked in 2016 and gave up a fourth round pick for a punter. And yeah. we all know how that went. So it didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. I it mean, it did not go well. I know you and I were talking about Logan Ryan, but it looks like the Giants just signed him today. So that's not really an option. Nope. Um, but no, I mean, I think you just have to you know, realize what you are and you had your opportunities. And I, I mean, that's just the way it is, I guess. Yeah, we haven't heard much since that report, which came a couple of days ago, again, from mm-hmm. Joe Burson, who, uh, who's rock solid with this stuff. Again, he said sources have told him that uh, Marty Herney was calling other teams uh, looking for defensive back help. So we'll keep an eye on that. You know, Prince Amukamura was released by the Raiders, who plays Carolina in two weeks. And, you know, he's a veteran, been around, uh, was on the same team that Matt Rule was a offensive line assistant back with the Giants. So there's some minor connection there i guess that's one veteran name you can keep an eye Wait, on who is that uh prince of Mukamura. oh yeah he he got released didn't he yeah he got released today by the uh by the raiders so uh you know i think with you know adding eli apple who we i think we both agree is a, a decent low risk opportunity for carolina mm-hmm. uh as well as dante jackson who is a veteran now um you know you got troy pride there who knows where he'll end up and they they really like this green kid from from Clemson, we had Jim Zoki on, and, and Jim and some others have, have told us that, uh, you know, he's got good length. He's a, a really impressive player at camp thus far. But, you know, again, it's camp. We'll have to see. You got Corn Elder back there. Uh, it, it's it's a group that could use some veteran help. But, again, are they really in a position right now to be uh, to be looking for veteran help if the plan is to build for the future? I just don't know. But, uh that sort of opens up to our, our topic of the day here. Billy had talked with me this this weekend about some of the uh, some of the comings and goings and doings around the league. And, you know, we've reflected on this before about how mm-hmm. certain teams go through these transition periods and, and the perception of the word tanking and, and how you can compartmentalize that into a productive activity, so to speak. Uh, there's right. a lot of analytics that lend itself to believing that accumulating the assets and unloading some of that uh, dead weight is a good way to go. If you know, you're not going to be competitive. I think Miami's done a fantastic job of that personally. Um, but let, let's dive into it, Billy. Where, where is Carolina right now in all of this? Because it's a, to me, it's, it's a bit of a half a tank. <laughs> they're just kind of, they're not quite built to be that bad, but uh, yeah, there's a, they're, they're a very imbalanced team right now. Sure, and and I think this speaks to a larger conversation about how the team is operating um, and how they're approaching their processes from a decision-making standpoint. And the first thing I want to say is, you know, I really appreciated Jim uh, joining us last week. He provided some really good insight into the team. But right. you know, one thing that stuck out, and it's not that I disagree with him, it's he mentioned that, you know, when I mentioned that how far the Panthers or what type of analytics are they incorporating into their front office structure? He immediately pointed to the Browns and that, I don't want to just, um, you know, nitpick him because there's other people who have mentioned that, uh, that analytics don't work because the Cleveland Browns, like, uh, they tried it and they failed, but the, the issue was never analytics with Cleveland. The issue why that regime under Sashi Brown failed is because it was the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> They're just like a bad organization. Um, I think they're turning the corner now, but and that's that just gets to a lot of my 
angst whenever this topic about analytics comes up. Because if you're going to mention that the failure of the analytics regime failed, then you have to also mention that the the next two years they hired John Dorsey, who was very similar to like a Marty Herney, who was like a big football guy who goes and watches games and doesn't really use analytics. That was also a failure. Mm-hmm. So you can't just say analytics failed for Cleveland, but then not also mention that the traditional method of operating front office and scouting did also failed. So I just think Cleveland, you really shouldn't use that as a reference point when you're discussing how to incorporate um, a data approach to building a team. I think you have to look at other organizations like the Eagles, the Ravens, the Vikings, um, the 49ers, the Patriots, and so on. Those teams operate, you know, they have a modern front office where they use data to make decisions and mm. also they incorporate film. You know, I don't want to you know, sound like I'm just going all money ball here, but I'm not. I think film is very important, especially in football, because it's, you know, a very um, a difficult game to compartmentalize. And you, but you need the added benefit of um, using data to make decisions because that's just the way um, – yeah, that that's the way companies in general and the future is modernizing. And so when I when I look at what the Panthers have right now, they have a, a general manager who is still employed and who is still the guy making the decisions who I just don't feel like he understands that approach. And I, I've said it in on Twitter and I've said it with you on this pod, it's like I'm fine with him, you know, having a role within the organization. But if the Panthers want to move forward in the future, I think they really need to start hiring uh, a progressive voice who understands the balance between numbers and film. Um, I mean, you and I voiced our support for Andrew Barry when oh, yeah. it looked like the Panthers potentially had an interview with him, but that never materialized and he went to Cleveland. No, I think yeah. that was that would have been a really good hire, but now the Panthers are sort of stuck with a guy we've seen not have a really good track record. So, Right. Andrew Andrew Barry would have been a fantastic hire for all the reasons you mentioned. He's a Harvard guy. He's a football guy. There's a fine balance between the two, but he meshes well with both those concepts. Spent time with a great organization in Philadelphia. Learned under some of the best people, as you mm-hmm. talked about. Has been in that Cleveland organization as well, too, so he's learned from some of their mistakes. And I think that would have been a fantastic thing. From what I gather, looking back, that was a, a technicality that they could not move forward because – Marty still had the GM title um, and they were prohibited from even moving forward with that. And that to me, I don't know. I mean, that, that speaks volumes to me as to how much this owner is loyal to this GM and that, that from a judgment perspective, I mean, again, this is just my opinion here. I, I don't think he's that spectacular that you give up an opportunity for an Andrew Barry. Mm -hmm. I just don't, Um, you know, those guys don't come around that often. I think he's going to be a superstar. In terms of a, a general manager, at the very least, he'll be he'll be better than Marty. Um, so, and, and you bring up a good point because I, I don't know. Maybe it's because he Tepper when he bought the team. You know, Marty was already entrenched. Rivera was already entrenched. I just feel like he should have been a little more ruthless um, to start off. I mean, I'm fine with Rivera keeping his job because. I mean, he's shown that he can win, you know, with indifferent circumstances. So whatever. But as far as Herney's concerned, that that wasn't 
it just the entire situation with him coming back continues to just baffle me. But I'm not going to focus on that. That's in the past. What, yeah. what, what I will say is I'm just looking at how Tepper has organized his Charlotte FC soccer team. That is a very modern and approach to how he's building their front office. Like they hired a bunch of guys from um, the from Holland and a bunch of European yeah. guys who are really young, who have a very you know, forward thinking mindset on how to build a soccer team. That's, I mean, he, he showed he could do it with God. his other, you know, sporting venture in the city. I just wish that he would also just, you know, take that same approach with this take the team. same approach with the football. Uh, yeah. That's just like my hope. And I'm just focusing on the front office. I, I know we've spoken about the coaching staff at length. I'm not going to really worry about that. I, I, I've, I've said on Twitter and I've said on here that I'm, you know, Matt Rule, Joe Brady, uh, Phil Snow, I'm fine, and I think those are good hires. But um, I, I really think if this franchise wants to uh, progress and become one of the uh, top teams, top franchises in the, in the league, they, they really need to become more modern in their approach. I just feel like uh, with this GM still holding power, I don't feel like that's attainable. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back at the NFL, folks. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, and that's really what it comes down to is, you know, how much power does he have and how long does that last moving forward? Obviously, if he's the general manager, he has power. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the general manager. So he's in a seat where he's making decisions. I mean, hell, he was the guy right there with Tepper. Unless I'm missing some memo, the two of them were the ones that made this hire with Matt Rule. It was, it was there was no outside committee mm-hmm. brought in. There was no general manager hired before, obviously. So it was the two of them that made the move. And again, I'm not you know totally against this hire. Wasn't my first right. choice, and I have a lot of questions. Here's the thing I'll say: you know, when when you have competency in that seat, and I'm talking about from an ownership, general manager, pro person, just everybody making decisions, like the Ravens, like the Eagles. Every move they make, they get the benefit of the doubt because they've shown results and they've shown mm-hmm. consistency. The, the the Patriots are a great example. Have they always had a great draft? No. They, they bombed a lot of times. But they have made good value decisions for the better of that team for the better part of two decades now. And right. Carolina's – they haven't arrived here that Tepper has not arrived there. He's not there yet as an owner. Marty's not there yet as a GM. He hasn't been there. Uh, this is, you know, 14 years now, two different tenures. He was fired once, brought back. And I was like you, you know, again, not to knock on the guy too much. You know, there's value there and maybe there's a place for him in this organization. But I just don't see how they move forward into this new NFL world if he is the guy that's hiring other people to be in charge of that. I think he needs to be not put out the pasture, but just put in a situation where he can do what he does, which is scouting, get on the road, manage that department. And bring in some progressive-minded people. Now, this gets me to my next question for you, Matt Rule, okay? So a lot of folks have, have talked about, including Jordan Rodriguez, who we had on our podcast, that Matt, at least in terms of the 
back half of the draft, that was Matt Rule's draft. You know, a lot of the decisions, a lot of these Baylor guys that have been brought in, a lot of the Temple guys to hear Whitehead being one. Obviously, for communication reasons, they bring in some of the guys he's familiar with, and that's fine. Year one, I understand. Um, but is is Matt qualified to drive that forward? Do you, do you see Matt at all getting total control or, or most control over this roster moving forward? I would feel a little better about their direction because at that point they would have a, how do I say this? I would feel a little better because I feel like at that point they would delegate to, to someone who has proved he could do it at a different level. Marty Herney hasn't proven he could do it. Well, he did prove he could do it, you know, like a two, a decade and a half ago, I guess. But, Recently, Marty Herney has improved he can do it, build a football team. So right. Matt Rule has proved he can bid, build a football team at, in the college ranks. On so the college level, right. right. I understand it's, it's a transition. Um, and again, the source of optimism I have is based on him you know, completely you know, moving into a, like, uh, making a radical like, step from the AA. AC conference to the Big 12. Sorry, got me there. And that's no easy <laughs> step for any coach. And, you know, he was in the title game in three years. So that tells me that he can adapt, he can build the culture, and he can get players to buy in. And I think that's important for a coach. Now, I'm just, I was reading a lot of his um, strategies on recruiting and player development, and all of those sounded pretty you know, those sounded pretty good. He's looking for athletes. I mean, if you, could, you just look at the draft from the second to the seventh round, they drafted pretty good athletes throughout, right. especially in the second round. Um, so that kind of gives me optimism. But unfortunately, the power dynamic is just too hard to people want to make their own judgments and you know lay down the law like oh this guy's in charge this guy's in charge we don't know none of us really know. honestly know we don't know, we don't know. The, i mean the gm hasn't really clarified it the head coach hasn't clarified it <laughs> um you know some members of the media are still like not sure how it how it's divided so I, when i see like people say oh this means that matt rule is really in charge we don't no one honestly knows and that that's just the plain truth of it so, yeah, I, I'm I'm totally fine if Matt Rule takes a more um, leadership role with the personnel. I understand it's a risk, but it's something new. And at the end of the day, I'm just not sure my trust level with um, Herney uh, is the same uh, because I'm I'm always willing to accept something new. Uh, right. I think we know what Herney is, and we know that. Right, we've seen it. We've seen it. Yeah, we've seen the good and the bad. And his decision making, it hasn't changed. Unfortunately, there's still some good, but for the most part, it it balances out to be mediocre. Well, yeah, it, it's an area where you feel like with, with an owner as deep pocketed as Tepper, and with the dedication to new facilities. The, the effort would be made to totally clean the thing up and, you know, 
that's my biggest thing with you is that, you know, from a Herney perspective, coaching perspective, all of it, you know, I, I got concerned when I saw Marty and, and Dave together out there traveling and the whole meatball story and that, you know, whatever, it's fine. And that was their hire, Matt Rule. And, and Matt Rule, I have no problem with, you know, he's an NFL right. guy. He played, you know, college football. Obviously, he's been around the game forever. I love that he's coached every position group. He's got a ton of coaching experience, not just CEO experience. So he's he's a great, I think, fit for what Carolina needs to do moving forward if it's going to be a long-term thing. Uh, here's the thing. I don't think it had to be a long-term thing. Now, I know that roster got old. I know there are pieces that just were, were destined to to die out. And, you know, Greg Olson, obviously, we'd love to get a death, but those legs are, are maybe a year or two away from being retired. Uh, Cam, mm-hmm. obviously, we, we all have opinions on that. I felt they should have kept him, and a lot of people agree. Some people disagree. But their way forward was to basically play the PR game of we've hired a college program builder with his college court, well, one of his college coordinators, the other uh, up-and-coming Joe Brady, and we're giving him a seven-year deal, and we're going to send PSL owners a, a letter saying, patience, patience, patience. And I don't want patience to get confused with complacency. And I think Dave's got a lot of stuff going on with soccer, facilities. I don't want this owner to get in the mindset where he can put this thing on autopilot for three years <laughs> and they, they can be okay with sucking in the name of rebuilding. Because, you know, Billy, a lot of owners will do that. A lot of owners will. The cash spending is what matters in this league, not the cap. And when your cash spending is low and you don't invest in your product, you know, the fans will always come back. But eventually, vets will look around and be like, you know, dude, I don't want to be a part of this. So. It's it's a high risk situation. You're right. Um, I, I just I, I don't I don't want this owner getting any free passes. And I I know fans loved him for a while, and then they hated his guts for the how the cam thing happened. I think you got to look beyond that and look at the total dynamic of okay, you had Richardson, who a lot of people loved and despised, obviously for good reason because of how he went out and what he he ended up getting himself into. But he was football centric, and for a short time he was you know leading the the charge against the players back in 2010 and that was a bad moment for him but he didn't have any other interest it was all about the football side and and pepper's got a lot going on right now so you got to make sure you've got somebody in that gm seat that can push that program the right way and i don't like how they've got it structured right now and i don't like the fact that nobody knows how it's structured because i think visibility is real important so hopefully they get that thing cleaned up i don't know what your thoughts on on that no, you're. I agree. Um, speaking just my own thoughts on the ownership, I, I also would say that. I mean, he's done a lot of good, you know, as far as you know, being able to put the resources in um, from a financial standpoint. New practice facility, new bubble. Sure. Um, I mean, there, there's certainly some areas where you look at it and he's been able to use his financial resources to, you know, help the program. Sure. Now, off the field, I can't speak to what he's doing, you know, as far as stadiums and, you know, what he does in the community and all this other stuff. And I'm just looking at how they do, the the soccer team does from afar. I'm not really too into it uh, on a macro level mm-hmm. uh, excuse me a micro level but yeah you know, i can tell that they have the right approach on, with that side 
Now, the other thing that you mentioned was the visibility with the front office and the coaching staff. And I'm I'm hoping this is I'm trying to give them the benefit of doubt that because of the pandemic, there just hasn't been opportunities for the media to really get in the building and report on the dynamics between the head coach and right. the front office. Right. I'm I'm doing my best to give them the benefit of the doubt there because we'll know soon enough by we'll certainly know by next March what yeah. the dynamic is. And and you're gonna hear it, I'm sure, you know, at next year's combine or, or at the end of the next year, no matter how well the team does, is um, the coach and the GM are going to say, oh, we're perfectly aligned, all this stuff. Which, hey, it might be true, but I think that fans deserve to know what the dynamics are between the two and how decisions are processed when they it comes down to... They absolutely deserve the known. They, yeah, and the, the media does as well. I mean, there's some info you can't give out, but those are fundamental structural things that are you know, you can find it a media guide and, you know, eventually I'm sure they'll have to you know, spell that out. But right now, you know, it, it's, it's very much up in the air and I'm sure that's by design. And as COVID's played a part, you're right. Um, I said this, somebody asked me the other night on Twitter about, you know, program builders and, you know, I, Matt, that's fine. You know, two college programs, two different conferences, two different approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to look at it from that perspective and, and be open-minded. I just look at, and there's not too many of these out there, but Bill, Bill Parcells was the ultimate, you know, program builder in the NFL. Obviously, he, he couldn't keep his feet still for two seconds. He wanted to <laughs> retire, come back, retire, come back. But everywhere he went, Bill, from day one, set the right tempo, hired the right people, examined the roster the right way, and managed personalities that other coaches just don't feel like handling. And he did it brilliantly in, in four different stops. He made the Super Bowl, what, twice with the Giants, won it twice, once with the Pats and lost, made it almost there with the Jets, and then he took Quincy Carter to the playoffs in 2003 with Dallas and basically found Tony Romo. Um, you know, so I, I give a guy like Parcells a ton of credit. Now, he moved on to Miami and did some, some GM-type work there, and it didn't work out that great, although I think Tony Sperano did take them to the playoffs one year under his tutelage, so... The point is, you know, people tell you to trust the process, and, and that's fine. And, you know, I, I, my fan hat is off here. I'm all analysts now. I just want to look at this very clearly and just kind of warn fans, you know, don't don't buy anything until you see the product. Uh, because if I had the comfort of knowing that some good NFL minds were making these decisions, I'd be more all in. I'd be like, look, I know this is going to be a good thing because it's it's a bona fide group of people making this decision, but I don't see that right now. I see a, a young owner, a third year in, and new owners have had a hard time with this thing, Billy, getting their first tire right. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about Marty Herney, again, we've, a, a guy that is under a lot of scrutiny. So again, you know, it's not a reflection on Matt Rule. If somebody offers me the sixth or seventh highest paid contract in the league right now as a coach, I'm going to sign it. Uh, and that doesn't count against the cap, but you, you know what I mean? I think you know it, a lot of fans who tend to be more rational thinking, you get your bandwagon fans who are going to say, okay, it's time to move on. Shut up. It's all about the Panthers now. Get behind them no matter what. Blind faith, this and that. And I'll never be that type of guy because I always come into this with a frame of mind. You got to prove something first. And it's been all words right now. And that's not Matt's fault. That's all he's had to work with. 
But uh, again, it all comes back to, do I trust the people who made the decision to bring this regime in? And I just don't know if I can say yes to that yet, totally. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a pretty fair uh, depiction of, I guess, the situation right now. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... I, it, I totally agree. Well, I mean, let's talk about this, too. You know, there, there's the, the tanking thing, the, the buzzword that folks like to talk about. And where Carolina is right now, roster-wise, I'll give you my assessment on what I think they're they're looking at. We get closer to week one here. You and I can do sort of a, a record projection of, of sorts. But, you know, I've got them in that 5-6 win range right now. We've mm-hmm. talked about this. And I think they're good enough to sneak out an extra one on top of that. I think they're on the, the better end of most projections right now, not the worst. And I put them in the plus category because I think they've done a fantastic job of putting together an offense that fits exactly what the coordinator wants. The offensive line is a big question mark, but they've got the best running back, maybe the second best running back in the league. If you think Nick Chubb's better, that's a debatable thing. Um, And they've got great weapons, I think, in terms of uh, Samuel Moore and Anderson. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of questions about uh, Bridgewater and can mm-hmm. he, you know, sustain? This is his first starting gig since 2015 full time. Um, so I think that they can put out a, a decent output and they can control the tempo on offense and shorten the game when they need to and run the ball and, and do all those things. And defensively, you know, you got a coordinator who's never been at that level at the NFL doing it. A lot of experience on the college level. Again, it's a different program now, different game, different level. A lot of young guys still got some vets. Um, but in, in general here, uh, you know, people are talking about Trevor, Trey, you know, all these guys next year that are, I guess, coming out. If the, I don't know how the timing works out with the pandemic. But um, what exactly is Carolina doing right now, Billy? I mean, I would hope you you could answer that for me first. <laughs> Well, no, because, say- no, I'm serious because you, this isn't a knock on you. And I, I think this is actually, you know, speaks to your level of, you know, intelligence commitment is that you might not agree with them. You always try to rationalize what they're doing. Me, I'm a little more emotional in my thinking. And if I disagree with it, I just tell them that that's not the way that they should pursue it. They should follow good organizations. So I'll pose the question back to you. Like, <laughs> What do you think they're doing? <laughs> what do I think they're doing? Well, l- let me put my rational head on real quick here. <clears throat> let me compute. Let me compute in the uh, Ellis computer here. How are they doing things? Here's how I think they're doing things, Billy. I think they don't know what they want yet. I think they honestly <laughs> feel like, okay, you know what? It's year one for a new coach, and they have pride. And, and Joe Brady decided, look, I'll come here, but I'm not coming here to coach Will Greer for a year. You're going to give me the guy I want. So obviously that was part of the deal because Bridgewater was a big part of their calculus before they released Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Cam was held on to for that reason, I, I think, as a bargaining chip to make sure that they they got the guy they wanted and they coveted Bridgewater enough to do that, which is crazy to me. Um, no offense against Teddy, but, uh, you know, that's the route they chose. Um, mm-hmm. I think they understood they had some weapons offensively to, to make this thing competitive. And I think they do value something that gets criticized by a lot, which is setting a culture week uh, year one and and not shitting the bed and looking just absolutely uncompetitive. They've put together a veteran offense. I mean, they've added some pieces there. Now they get rid of Trey Turner and there's some concern there. But defensively, it's it's hard to, to, to know exactly how that'll come together. 
I think they just decided, you know what, we, we didn't hit the mark in terms of getting the assets. We didn't do what Miami did. You know, you see what the Dolphins did. They got back, you know, Raekwon Davis just now. They just got a fourth back for him. Uh, Charles Harris, uh, Kenyon Drake, Fitzpatrick, uh, Stills. You can go on and on. The amount of capital they've gathered here from getting rid of their veterans. And now they've added some veterans back. I think they've done it right. They've hired a coach that squeezed out five wins. They still got Tua, who I think they coveted. I don't know. I, that's, I can't rationalize everything either, Billy. I think that's the best assessment I can give you is if they really wanted to, quote, tank and, and guarantee themselves the number one spot, Bridgewater would have been nowhere in that equation. But I don't think Joe Brady would have come here without Bridgewater. That's just my opinion. You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from all your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order of $15 or more and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's the code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. I think you're spot on, by the way. I I agree with everything you said. Um... Now, here's my issue with that approach. I'm fine with them giving, you know, moving on from Cam and moving to Teddy, but I'm I'm not fine with how they approach the rest of the offseason. If you're going to attempt to be competitive, then you need to, you know, do a lot more within the trade market the free agency market and also within the draft and i'll get to the draft in a minute here but you don't trade a very good right guard for a left tackle exactly. who has one year left on his deal exactly. he's coming off injuries and some other health issues right he's his commitment was ever 100 percent, and i'm still not sure if it's 100 percent. i mean who knows they could be they yeah. could start off the season Oh and four, one and four, and he could be out the door in retirement. No one knows. That is point number one. Point number two is, they, I mean, I was fine with the Robbie Anderson signing. I think a lot of people were, but there's just so many other areas um, offensively that they could have done better to help serve them to become more competitive, and defensively the same thing. Like these issues that com- that um, they were pretty easy to envision in January and February. Uh, and, and what I mean by those issues is a lot of people realize that Dontari Poe, Gerald McCoy, Vernon Butler, Mario Addison, oh, yeah, they yeah. realized those guys were going to move on. Totally. And you have to have the foresight in that situation to really plan out an offseason where you can replace them. You can't just rely on rookies, which is what they're doing now. And I feel bad for Phil Snow. I really do. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he was happy on draft day, but you need some type of established veterans on there. And I'm a guy who loves having you know young players and stacking the roster with as much rookie talent as possible. But 
that's a lot of snaps you have to replace. Yeah, it is. And, and I think a just, couple, couple of those vets, I think uh, Urban in particular, I, you know, he, I think he wanted to go home. <laughs> honestly, I think yeah, he's I real happy back in Seattle. But uh, that's a guy I would have eyeballed to keep because he played hurt. He played well. His tape looked great. McCoy, it's unfortunate what happened, but I, I thought he brought a lot. And Poe, I, I wasn't that impressed with a lot of what I saw. But again, these are snaps. You're right. These are veteran guys that, uh, you know, and you lose Luke. He can't help that, but that's devastating. But when you replace him with Tahir Whitehead, you know, you're losing a lot of coverage ability there in a division where you need mm-hmm. it. So I, 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 I never understood um, it until I sort of stepped back and, and, and tried to rationalize again, Billy. Mm-hmm. Again, not from my perspective, but from there. I always try to think about what they're thinking. I, I'm not thinking about how I build it. If I, if I was in charge, I would have built this thing entirely differently. I would have gone in an entirely different direction. I would have hired a GM. I would have hired an NFL bona fide assistant or, or another head coach, like a, even a McCarthy or an Eric Bieniemy would have been his first choice. Build, build a more NFL-centric staff. Keep Newton. Move forward. Build a veteran team around him. That's how I would have done it. But that's obviously they're going very radical here. And I think the defense, people just are in this comfort zone now where it's like, oh, well, fuck it. You know, we just assumed they're going to be young on defense, young and hungry. Let's go attack it. But you're exactly right. It gets overlooked. You're losing that many snaps. I, I, Mario Addison's another. I mean, these are guys that they just never, Eric Reed, guys they never fully replaced. They replaced them from a half measure right. perspective. And uh, I just, I, you know, I, I'm glad Trey Boston's now the leader of the secondary, but. Again, there's there's issues there, and you know Dante is a good player, but he's now the 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 CB one out there, and and who Eli Apple's a a low risk guy, but again, these are these are who they're counting on. I feel bad for Phil too, because you know this is year one; he's never called a defensive call in the NFL, and uh, he's got a lot on his shoulders, man. It's rough. Yeah, no, and that that brings me to another point: is that you brought up this is what they've done. Now, what should they have done? You you mentioned that they should have kept Newton, possibly by a veteran NFL coach. And again, I want to be clear. I'm fine with them going with Matt Rule. And the reason I say that is because of my trust level um, in his ability to build a program and culture. And I, I think that's underrated in a lot of aspects. Mm-hmm. So now here's what I would have done if I was a GM. I would not have traded Trey Turner for an aging left tackle. I would have traded him potentially for whatever the price would have been. I understand it would it wouldn't have been more than a you know third or fourth round pick, but you take those draft assets and you build your team. I mean, you follow the that's Miami how Dolphins. Miami's, that's how Miami's doing it, Billy. And, and everyone that says tanking with Miami, Miami's not tanking; they're reloading. I just hate the word. This is another just irk of mine when people say tanking, like. I don't. It just it doesn't sit right with me, because even the Sixers, I don't consider them to be tanking. They were just taking a very radical approach to team building, which is quite simply rebuilding. Now you can, you know, you can call it whatever you want. That's just my opinion. I don't really like when people say, you know, it was tanking, and you're just you know playing words out. And maybe I am, but. You can no, reload the, the word sucks. I hate I hate the word too. And you know, I don't necessarily hate the idea of, of what Miami's doing. I think he's gotta yeah. be done right. I don't like doing it halfway. Feels like Carolina's doing it halfway, Billy. No, I, I agree. Look what Jacksonville's going. Um yeah. a, a very similar approach to Miami. So that's that's just sort of how you need to rebuild your team. Like no one's gonna, you know, sit on a, you know, no one's gonna go to a game and just say, Hey, 
you should be dropping that ball. We should be tanking. No one's going to say that, all right? Like, players are going to play, like, 100%, no matter who's out there. It's up to the sure, to yeah. the front office to, you know, guide the team forward and ensure that it has a bright future. Well, I mean, give, their give job me, is... Give me an example of where the, the, the 76ers approach has, has worked in the NFL. I mean, I'm just... I'm. I'm well, it I'm hasn't to, to that. I, I, it, no, but it, here's the thing: it it that hasn't really happened to that effect. Right. Um, I mean, it's happened in baseball. It worked sure. for the Astros. It's happened in the in the NHL. Um, there's a few teams in the NHL where it's been reasonably effective. Yeah, I think that's so, my only point. Is I look at I look at that approach, and it it did work ultimately for for what Philly does in the NBA. I just. You know, and I'm not a meathead like these guys you see out there. You can't do that because you know the man, better man, and well, this well, shit. Well, you know, I, I I get the strategic angle of it, and it, it does make sense to a degree. But I just don't know how necessary it is in the league where where parity is absolutely paramount, and everybody's given an opportunity because the you know you, it, Tepper's got money to spend. You know, it's it, unless you don't well, want to spend on. it. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I'm I'm not saying, and again, that that's what I'm saying that it's happened before in baseball and hockey and basketball sure. because for for a couple of reasons the first reason being that that the i mean it's just a completely different sport i mean that goes without saying and those sports last like five to six months the other thing is when they're bringing in these new assets they have them for a you know a decent period of time and mm-hmm. for the most part all of them are really young I mean, you right. get drafted in baseball, you're 18 or 19 years old. You're getting straight out of high school. Same thing in hockey, 18, 19 years old. NBA, I mean, the good teams draft really young players. So in the NFL, the youngest players, 20 at the youngest. Yeah. Most teams are drafting 21, 22-year-olds. So you right. have um, you know, an asset that's going to depreciate a little quicker than it would in another sport. Well, how do you how do you get to a point in the NFL where this is a necessary step? I mean, I obviously, mean, you know. I mean, just look, just look at, at the Panthers, like Philadelphia. You know, you talk about Baltimore. These are teams that have had an occasional hiccup, but for the most part, over the past decade, you know, they keep churning. Even with Chip Kelly, you know, he had a couple good years there with ten wins, mm-hmm. and then they reset with Doug, and you know, that was a, a short term reset. It didn't take three years to do it. Uh, why why is Carolina in a position where they're gonna you know say look seven year contract got to give this maybe get i hear the analysis you got to give matt rule at least like three years to get it right well you know i mean tell me why they're in that position other teams aren't yeah i mean it's just the front office that comes down to that i mean there you go y- you look at the eagles they have howie roseman's probably one of the better gm same thing in baltimore they have a succession plan after ozzy newsom retired and they just know how to build a football team and here's the most important thing they don't draft for today. They draft for tomorrow. Right. And they they always have the long-term aspect in mind. They do just a lot of things that is supported by the data and that is supported by what smart teams do. They trade back in the draft. They, you know, they sometimes allow free agents to walk, but they make sure that they play the compact game so they can, you know, bring in an asset for losing them. They look to the veteran trade market, giving up a fifth round pick for Calais Campbell. You know, the Eagles have, you know, given up like, I think they gave up a fifth round pick for Michael Bennett one year. That's how you have to just continue churning your roster and looking for mm-hmm. new strategies to really kind of 
find an edge. And I just, I mean, if people trust Marty Herney to do that, then hey, that's their opinion. I personally, I don't. So that's just kind of like, you know, where I stand. You had this group of veterans that got older. I mean, Thomas Davis and Luke was a surprise, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to a lot of people. Um, let's see, think of another. Um, Charles Johnson. These guys that, you know, were part of that core in the early 2000s. And not that I can recall, none were, were traded for any value in advance of their peak years kind of being mm-hmm. expired. You know, they were all allowed to kind of walk off and, and, Norman obviously had the tag rescinded and had his game declined after that. But uh, you know, Carolina hasn't done a good job of, you know, and you'll see Belichick do this. He's a, he's really good at t- understanding, okay, this guy has reached as far as he can go in terms of peak value for what we're paying and what he's given us. So we're going to trade him and we'll get him. You know, Jamie Collins comes to mind. This guy's in the past that he's dealt and gotten something in return for. Um, and I just, I've seen Carolina do, unless I'm missing something, do very little to any of that over the last decade they just they they don't they don't think that way they don't yeah john i, I totally agree and i think that that's you brought up a point earlier like when should the panthers like um you know rebuild and when should like how do you rebuild and what's the time frame i mean this was the perfect off season for it yeah you you lost cam newton you lost i mean Luke Keekley and other core members of your team who we mentioned earlier, the Addisons of the world. Yeah. This was the off season where you could have definitely gone in that direction, where you could have, you know, really built a an asset of war chest where you could potentially really upgrade your team in the future. And I'm for some reason where, they where did decided, they miss the mark on that? Who who could they have used for that leverage though? So okay, that's a good like question. Shaq, I mean, I was Shaq was coming up for a contract, but I mean, and, and, and when that happened, because that that came after Rivera was fired, right? The extension, yes, yes. That told me that oh my gosh, Marty Herney might actually stay. Yeah, that was a Marty move. So yeah, I mean, whatever. It's I wouldn't have traded him if that's what you're asking, because no one would have. He's on a new contract. Yeah. If you're going to move on from Trey Turner, you should have done something to get a draft pick. I mean, right. uh, there's other moves. Like, what's the deal with Curtis Samuel? He has one year left on his deal. Are you going to keep him? Are you going to extend him? If you're not going to extend him, then you should have traded him for a second or a third round pick. Teams the were same- calling about him. I, I, I know this for a fact. And I, I know also that there's been speculation that th- that ain't over yet. I mean, I'm hearing from people that at some point this year, if this half a tank, you know, Carolina's having a hard time gelling on offense, uh, he'd be the perfect trade candidate for a team that's making a run. I, I still don't think that one's over. I can't confirm that, but I, I think well, well, and, you're and right. that's the thing. Like, if you're going to move in that direction, why not do it before the draft or during the draft? Yeah, I think uh, there was there was a lot of rumors like on the day two of the draft, there Panthers going to trade Samuel for second or third. Yeah, and right. I, I I would keep Samuel. I would extend him. But if you're not going to extend him, then you trade him. You don't want to walk The clock's going to run out again, and you get another Panther. The same thing with Taylor Moton. away with no, no compensation. The same thing with Taylor Moton. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, there's another. If one. you're not going to, okay, that's just like my biggest sense of frustration. There was an opportunity for the Panthers to lean in, to either reset, like the Dolphins, by trading these type of assets and gaining like valuable picks. 
or they just need to re resign these players and make sure you don't leave them because I know for a fact if you let them leave in free agency, Marty Herney is not going to play the Comkip game because he's going to sign a mediocre veteran free agent and it's all going to go to waste. Yeah. People try to tell me that because they lost James Bradbury, they were going to get a comp pick, but that was not the case. No. And they could have gotten a third-round comp pick if they actually did it the right way. Yeah, yeah, that's how you, that's how you do it. Again, the the, the word tanking is is a media creation, and we, you know, I don't just, buy it. Just call I, it a rebuild. I think a rebuilds rebuilds fine. And you know, rebuild. It, there's a lot of validity to to what Carolina had to do. You know, again, I not it goes past can you know look, look at some of the dead money that was coming up on the horizon with, with Luke Keekley's retirement they went all in last year and signed you know Irvin and and the, you know, the Gerald McCoy and they had Eric Reed on the the books there and these are all good decent veterans but the the dead money was was going to get in the way you saw Matt Khalil on the, on the dead money chart you can thank both GMs for that um but Jesus I mean you know you at some point, you have to look at that too and say, you know, there, there's, there is a need to, to do things to alleviate that moving forward long term because you can't keep taking on dead cap. But um, rebuilds fine. I just I don't like the media narrative. Again, I don't like a lot of the media narratives that uh, you know, hey, let's you know, see radio stations all this posting. You know, is it best for the Panthers to be two and fourteen or not? It's like, well, you can't really quantify that. I mean, you know, this is. <laughs> Well, you want me to say, yeah, let's fucking lose 14 games this year. That, that's going to be great fun. Yeah. Long term, would that make sense? I mean, I've, you know, sure, fine. They'll get a great quarterback, hopefully. Maybe. They're, they're in position. But what they can't do now is <laughs> win six or seven games, and they don't have the assets you would want to be able to move back up to get one of those guys. So it's yeah, just, if you win six or seven games, you might as well just keep Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, and, and if he performs well, and you know that, that would be their, their guy at least for the – the, the next two or three years, but um, yeah, I'm fascinated to see Teddy because you know, again, the the film there's not a lot there other than the fact that he plays very good within structure, and you know, he's close with Brady, and I think they'll do things to facilitate his ability to be the point guard in this offense. He can put the deep ball down the field; he just doesn't pull the trigger on it a lot, and that's mm-hmm. I think that's part of his mindset with you know Sean in New Orleans, and you know, look, don't turn the ball over. Our defense is good enough, and he made. Good decisions. I posted last week. His two interceptions were both tip balls. One was probably his fault. The other was a Ted Yen special, which we we we've seen that before here. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's where they're at. Uh, do do you feel? Uh, I mean, how do I put this? Uh, how do you feel? How do you feel they'll compete within this division this year, given all the? The circumstances, obviously, it's you got a behemoth with New Orleans always, and everybody's predicting the Bucks to go far here, and I think they've got an opportunity to do that. And Atlanta's a wild card. Um, how important do you think it is for Carolina, at least in year one, to, to to get some division wins, if not maybe at least one or two, under their belt? Is there any importance in that from your end? Yeah, I don't think it's. I think it's certainly important. I don't want to underestimate it. I just I'm not really confident about it given the opponents in the division. I think the Falcons are going to be pretty good this year, yeah. um, and and obviously the other two teams speak for themselves as far as you know their talent base and coaching staffs. And I think that the coaching staffs is a, a key component of that because as much as we agree that Rule is a is a program builder, again 
I talked with Luther Broughton about this a while back, and he he played on a very good staff in Philadelphia with you know guys like John Gruden and uh, Bill Callahan, uh, Andy Reid, Ray Rhodes, all those. And he said absolutely one of the big concerns he would have is. Yeah, early on when you don't have experience in the, in the big three, you know, the, the mm-hmm. clock management, game management, situational management, um, you can get worked as a coordinator really quickly by more experienced guys. At the end of the day, it's a player's league. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I look at the Raiders coming up week one. I think next week we'll do a deeper dive into matchups and how they, they look to maybe match up there. I, I, from my perspective, I'm trying to treat this season competitively one week at a time because uh, as an analyst, you know, you, you, you want to look at this thing without – getting into the macro view too early and just saying, you know, Oh God, they're going to suck. So why bother? You know, I think every game's a challenge and Mm -hmm. we'll see how they match up. But, um, yeah, I would, what do you, what what, what are you looking for the most when you watch this team? We'll kind of wrap up on this note. I, and I talked about this last week. There's certain elements I look for. It's not always wins. Uh, What, what to you defines a pretty good trend moving forward for this team. When you look at the tape, uh, growth. Yeah. Simple as that. And, I think they'll be competitive. And uh, you mentioned earlier, Nick Wilson, really good friend of ours on WFNZ. I think he was a person who brought up the two and fourteen. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I just want to be clear because I, I, I just want to say one thing to that, and that kind of ties into what your question was about in my answer about growth. You know, I, I think a two and fourteen season like two thousand ten is completely and utterly unacceptable on every level because it was a disaster. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. I'm not trying to defend that, but I think a two and fourteen, like how the Bengals experienced last year. Again, I'm not condoning it, and I don't think I'm not rooting for it to happen. Sure. I'm no, just saying. Look. That. Look at how the Bengals performed last year. They went two and fourteen, but they were competitive in a lot of games. They were competitive on the road in Seattle. They're competitive mm-hmm. on the road in Buffalo. They're competitive against Baltimore and Cleveland. They improved throughout the year so they could have potentially been a six or seven win team they lost a lot of close games so if the panthers are losing a lot of close games and you look at how the Bengals progressed throughout the year they won two games in december and they consistently got better week after week after week and eventually led to two wins and um you know they got the first overall pick joe burrow yeah do you think that was their design going in no, was, I, I 100% no. They were starting Andy Green or excuse me, Andy Dalton. That that's that's my problem with the fallacy of all this though. That is, you know, I understand that yes, if you're competitive and you win two games, sure. I mean, that's great, but you know, it it, it very few teams I think go into the season saying, "Okay, you know what? We're going to build this roster in order to win as few games as possible." Mm-hmm. And we got to stick to that plan. I think it's very much a crapshoot. And I think it's very much a crapshoot as to which one of these quarterbacks early on turns out to pan out. I mean, Carolina 2011, you know, they were considering Blaine Gabbard for a while. Uh, they were considering Nick Fairley for a while and uh, Darius, uh, you know, they, and Newton worked out. But it, initially it was all about Andrew Luck and Jim Harbaugh. That was the rumor mm-hmm. that these two guys were going to come out together, a package deal. And uh, so you never know how these things are, are, are going to work out. So, yeah, how they plan it going in, you know. I just want to make sure fans understand that, you know, it's again, it's about trusting the competency level of the, the management ownership and, and what they're doing. They're laying the groundwork, I think, from a PR perspective, that patience is key. So if we suck, look, our plan worked. Well, I just don't believe that's the way you run a football team. If you suck because you didn't add the pieces you need to, you get the pick you deserve because you sucked. And that's fine. And it's OK mm-hmm. to say that. 
but you're right. The Bengals, looking back, they had veterans, and it just did not, you know, pan out. But did they get who they got now? I mean, yeah, sure, they got the guy they wanted. I'm, I don't know, back in this time last year. It wasn't by design. design if that's yeah, guy. right, yeah, right. So that's my whole issue with a lot of people that tend to believe that this is a big strategic 40 chess type of move. <laughs> uh, it's like, I see these message boards like, you got uh, Tepper didn't get to be rich overnight, but and I'm like, this is a whole new goddamn business, folks. And I've seen owners come in and just shit the bed for years until they get it right. And uh, I, I, I hope he does get it right, but I'm, I'm not worried about how he, he operates any other part of any businesses right now, uh, except for this front office and how they move forward. And, and hopefully Matt Rule understands what he's doing at every level to manage that. Because I really do think, Billy, that he's going to end up with a lot of power. Whoever, who is this uh, new guy they hired from Philly? I think he's forgetting his name. Joe something, right? Mm-hmm. Gosh almighty. He's the uh, new pro personnel director and he has a relationship. Pat Stewart, I'm sorry. I'm thinking yeah. of uh, the guy from New York, Pat Stewart. Um, I think Pat and Joe will end up being a one-two punch at some point because they have a pass. But, um, yeah, let's just hope these guys know what they're doing because um, 2010, like you said, was an absolute shit show. And it was done for all the wrong reasons. And Cam fell in their lap, and that was great. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate you enlightening me on a lot of this because, you know, I've from an analytics perspective, I'm learning. I'm coming along here. You know, I'm I'm not the smartest. I mean, you analytics follow the right people on Twitter too. Definitely. I mean, like Ben Baldwin, guys like that who are, are really good to to break it down and give you the data you need. And uh, yeah, of course, data is important. I, I think you know what plagued Ron. I can't confirm this, but he had to really have his arm twisted. Felt like to get on board with that. Um, and eventually he, he turned that direction and go way back into the old guard like John Fox. I mean, you saw how he did in Chicago. It was clear that organization was was not doing it the right way from that end. And, and John was probably a big part of that because you know, obviously he comes from an old school. And that's why you see so many coaches now, uh, you know, like if I, I, I like a Vic Fangio. You think he's using a lot of analytics? You think he's enjoying that? He's <laughs> I, I can't say for sure, but I, I see certain guys around the league and I could just feel they feel like the analytics are being shoved down their throat. And hopefully, uh, no, no, well, I think there's a difference between analytics in a front office analytics and a coaching staff. And obviously, I would like it to be in both, but I understand that transitioning and providing data to coaches is a little more trickier because well, of sure. how they've yeah. been able to ascertain the football game from afar. Who's and Baltimore's doing that? I guess the most coordinated, right, in terms of their the guys yeah. that's in the booth. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. So we'll see. Uh, I do like what Miami's doing a lot. I can't stress that enough. You know, they they finished strong. Obviously, they tore that thing down with purpose. Uh, they rebuilt it with purpose. I love their coach. He's a tough, smart guy. He's a Belichick guy. He's got a good background, and. Uh, that's what you want to see. And, uh, you know, hopefully Carolina can uh, get some assets here at some point. If not, mm-hmm. maybe they'll just surprise people and be better faster than expected. I just want to stress again, shouldn't take long in the NFL to get to where you need to be. And I would just caution fans not to get too complacent. Um, keep a skeptical eye. Make sure you keep an eye on things because, you know, it shouldn't take four or five years for this shit to come together. It shouldn't. Billy, anything else, bud? It's all for me, sir. 
Well, y'all, we appreciate you. This has been The Roar on Blue Wire. we got another one coming up Friday for you. Might have a guest. We might not. Billy and I are going to do more of a season preview week one examination next week in terms of uh, how we feel the Raiders might match up against the Panthers in front of a crowdless Bank of America Stadium. 2020, what a year. Billy, we'll see you next time, bud. Thank you, sir. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code Blue Wire. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.